The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Inspired, informed, motivated, and recharged on radio's favorite power hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Every day is a stellar day on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Let's get this party started. Cynthia will be back to kick it all off after this break. And welcome to Radio's Finest Hour of Power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive book talk with authors and experts that help you excel in life. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are your goddess gals and thrilled to be your personal growth success coaches right here on the airwaves every week with you, the mother-daughter dynamic duo. So get ready to pump your energy, love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through books and media. For two segment today, we're going to be talking about rockers rolling on, music stars from the 60s and 70s, who are still hot, hot, hot. In segment two, Titania Noel helps us find our soulmate. And in our third segment, the book Overcoming Anger in Your Relationship offers a powerful antidote by anger expert, Robert Nay. So we hope that you will sit back, relax, and enjoy the show the Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to be the star of your own life. For more information on how to get a private session, call 925-377-7827. And this is by Mark Twain. I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. And by mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson, friendship is precious not only in the shade but in the sunshine of life. And thanks to a benevolent arrangement of things, the greater part of life is sunshine. So we like that. Well, fierce, rebellious, unstoppable, rocks royalty from the 60s and 70s are still the hottest ticket in music. At the 52nd Grammy Awards, longevity was the theme, and all five of the best solo rock vocal performance nominees were well over 50, including Springsteen, Neil Young, John Fogarty, Bob Dylan, and, of course, Prince. Now, Stevie Nicks, at 62, did a duet with teen Taylor Swift, wowed the audience, and it was obvious that the most revered artists are also probably the most vibrant, and they're the oldest. Tina Turner, at 70, is as sexy as Lady Gaga, at 23 to me. <laughs> Uh, Carol King is 68, Neil, Di- Neil Young is uh, 64, and of course, the Who's Pete Townsend is 65. So Heather, I want to ask you, as a young person, what is the attraction with the musicians who are rocking 
uh, you know, with your music when maybe they should be in a rocking chair. And I am against that. I don't, I don't think just because you get older, you know, doesn't mean old. Being old is just a state of mind. And my thing of why these certain um, musicians have, have really had that longevity, not only in life as well as in their career, is it's related to any kind of product, and especially in comparison with clothing or fashion. This is something that wasn't just the music they produced wasn't just, you know, the hit of the moment or something, you know, that was just the right then. It was a forever thing. And when you have a good uh, recipe for something, it continues to make good products. Um, their music remains timeless. I like that. I think that's a real truism in any business, isn't it? Exactly. And that, see, the thing is, their music, you know, was just so unique, so different, um, and that it could outlast the times, and that they, they're constantly, um, you know, reinventing themselves, but not to the point where they were losing a fan base. And then the people, you know, parents that are really diehards about it, that music got spread into their house. It's interesting, you know, I, I think that even now on the classic rock radio station, some of the bands that I grew up with are starting to be on classic rock, um, which is a weird feeling for me. Um, but, you know, certain things, it's just that when you make something that uh, is timelessness, that isn't just a trend, because there are so many other bands and so many other musicians that it kind of is that where are they now, or you, they have that one-hit wonder, um, but they didn't have the staying power. So, so many people such as the Stevie Nicks, the, you know, the David Bowies, that they were very iconic. They established something so new, so different, and their music was really good. And when something's really good, it's going to last a long time, just as with clothing and with stuff, when you build something right, it's going to last. Well, um, you know, I think back to my parents' time when, you know, their idols were Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, you know, kind of the rat pack. And, I mean, I always thought that they were good singers, but I was never a fan. And, I mean, still today I think they had good music, but I never, I never, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to listen to them. Whereas our generation of music, I mean, you kids always liked the music from the 60s and 70s, it seems, from the get-go. At least I know in yeah, our house. But, that, you know, at least anything is just as you were saying, you were not the biggest Sinatra. I know people who love Sinatra and love that, and that a lot of the artists from the 60s and 70s contribute um, their careers and their success to, you know, the Patsy Climbs, to the Buddy Hollies, the people that came before them, um, just the people, the musicians in my generation now um, say things back to the people from the 60s and 70s. And, it, you know, you can't group, because I know a lot of my friends who do not like old school rock, who do, who only like, you know, hip hop and modern and new stuff. So it's never, you know, we can never group everyone into, a, you know, what's the draw. Right. Um, but just to say, you know, that they do still have a pretty big draw. I know David Bowie is having his 42nd, I believe, album. Yeah, his 42nd here. album. And, yeah. I, and I know here in San Diego, um, Sting from the police is touring as well as, um, oh gosh, his name is Tom, uh, Perry, Tom, Tom Petty. And those are two concerts I really want to go to because it has that nostalgic for me. I grew up listening to that. Um, you know, it was good music. Those are the songs that, you know, this I've always, I never get sick of. So for me, you know, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's the way you grew up. It's the kind of music that was brought into your house um, that, you know, has that nostalgic, classic, classic mix to it. Um, 
And you know, well, I, think, I even think of people like um, Tom Jones, who was who was you know grandparents' age. Uh, he's seventy now, and people um, they just flock to him in Las Vegas. You know, he's just uh, they, everyone loves his music. I don't want to say mm-hmm. everyone. There's no such thing as everyone. But what about Stevie Wonder? You know, mm-hmm. he's now sixty. And he is, uh, his music just lives on as well. So there's so many good, there, I think that you're right, they were just really, really good musicians. Look at Elton John and all the movies, um, musics that he's making now too that are, you know, they're, they're just go on and on. And I think a big thing too of the stars and, uh, and, Interestingly enough, um, the success oftentimes of when people die too young, um, you know, such as the people from Leonard Skinner, uh, uh, Jimmy Jim Hendrix, Morrison, Jim Morrison yeah. from The Doors, um, you know, so so many Jonas Jackson's album is that people Joplin. when they when they kind of went out on top when they they it forever left people wanting more. So their last releases were just these phenomenal albums. Uh, people, this is the only thing they have to hold on to, and so um, this, you know, forever they are just idolized. And who's the same? Maybe they wouldn't have been so good forever, but what they had released, and kind of just how, you know, artists their their uh, paintings are worth nothing until they die. <laughs> and so many people see the art. What I'm interested in, what I think is fascinating about these rockers today, the the ones obviously that didn't overdose and didn't die, you know, the ones that were are still around. It's how so many of them are still on tour. They're still selling out concerts. Um, you know, the highest grossing tour, American tours in 2009 were U2, and Bono was 50, uh, Springsteen, Elton John, and Billy Joel's face-to-face shows. Those were the highest grossing North American tours in 2009, and all wow. of them are well over 50. Number five on the list was... Uh, AC Yeah. No, well, it was ACDC, which was, um, you know, that's been piercing eardrums since 1973. Yeah. Uh, number four was Britney Spears, but she's still more your generation, so it's not my generation. It uh-huh. just seems like she's been around for a long time because she was a, what was she, a mouseketeer, and she was singing, you know, back there on the Mickey Mouse Club, right? Exactly. And I mean, and that's one thing, you know, it's interesting if you think of it as who my generation uh, will one day be the people that um, are selling out these concerts. I know certain bands, such as Nirvana, um, which have spun off into other bands now that are very successful. Um, but you have to wonder, you know, who is going to be as successful and who's going to carry on these torches um, that have been set before them. Um, well, you know, these- in that light, um, my, one of my absolute favorite concerts, of all times, besides the concerts that I had gone to where there were multiple bands, and I literally have seen everybody, but my, one of my favorite performers was Tina Turner, and she just never fails to just give an unbelievably rousing show. But now we're talking, you know, Lady Gaga, and I'm excited because you and I have tickets. We're going to go see Gaga. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Lady Gaga is going to have this, uh, I think like Madonna. I, I think I think Lady Gaga is in essence um, my generation's new Madonna. Is that thing that the ability where she's wild, she's very unapologetic. She's an amazing singer, songwriter, and dancer, um, and very comfortable. It appears to be in her own skin, and that um, you know it's one of those things that seems some people love her, hate her. 
but she's an amazing performer. And um, as well as that she has a lot of um, creative control in her, in the music she does and, and the outfits and the way she conducts herself. So I definitely see her as someone having longevity. Um, she has such a huge following already. And just people, the way they discuss these concerts, that it isn't a concert, it truly is a performance. Um, that well, I the, admit, the fact that her concerts literally sell out, and I don't know how many tickets, you know, is at one of these big stadiums or auditoriums, they sell out in three minutes. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to get tickets. You have to get tickets on the secondary or tertiary market because they're just not available. And, you know, somebody, a concert I would have loved to have seen, after seeing the movie This Is It, Michael Jackson's, uh, which was going to be his final performance, it's just such a tragedy, and it's been just about a year now since he died. Uh, It would have been an incredible experience to have seen him in performance because he was such the consummate performer and wanted to do such a great job. And, of course, he'd been around since he was one of the Jackson 5, so he's definitely, his music lives on and has influenced many other people. Yeah, completely. And honestly, again, as I think um, for the last couple of years, he's kind of been thought of in, in obscurity that um, his private life has kind of taken over his performance life, and people didn't always have the greatest things to say about him. Um, but sort of after death and tragedy, I mean, he's always been remarked as a great performer, but it seems that any of the negative is kind of cited, and you know, now people are just so hungry for more and so sad that they won't ever have his music again. Um, so, again, you know, that leads to that whole thing of, you know, when someone is no longer able to put out such great music, um, they, their fan base becomes even more widespread and even bigger because people are so hungry for something they can't have. Right, right. Well, and, again, many of those incredible performers have uh, have passed on, and um, and most of the ones that were from our, my parents, your grandparents' age, have indeed. So, um, and they live on as well. So I suppose the beat goes on and on and on as long as you have good quality. Well, I love talking about rockers rolling on. Heather, give out the website. Most definitely. We want you to go to bethestudyride.org, com, and myspace.com forward slash Carmony Clutches, both with a K. All right. Well, when we come back from break, we are going to be talking to Tatanya Noel, who has written this wonderful book, Finding Your Soul, A Mate. So we are going to be talking love, and we're going to go to Russia with love to meet this author. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back, so you stay with us. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. 
BeTheStarYouAre.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thank you for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and to listen. Finding the right life partner is not easy. In her amazing autobiographical story, uh, Tatiana Knoll went from being a loner who thought she was doomed to spinsterhood to a happily married woman. She's going to share her method of words with how she found the one with us today. Welcome, Tatiana, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Uh, good to meet you, Cynthia. <laughs> Thank I you am for so inviting glad. I, I wanted to correct myself when I said that she was from Russia. She actually speaks Russian, but what she was actually born in what was called the USSR, but the the country is now called Ukraine. And since we're talking about that, would you just tell us a little bit about growing up in the USSR? Uh, and because I'm, you married a foreigner, and we're going to get to that too. But tell us a little bit about your childhood where trust wasn't real commonplace, so that might have contributed, at least it seems like it from your book, to um, how you eventually found your soulmate. Yes, uh, life is very different. It was uh, in that country, and you picked uh, up right about trust, lack of trust. People were very closely related uh, when it comes to friendship and family members, One, but when it is uh, in society and some wider social circle, uh, people were more cautious uh, what they say, and it was not much openness. Uh, this term glassness, which appeared uh, during Perestroika with Gorbachev, it means voicing yourself, being transparent, you can speak up, that's what it means. So, uh, Life in America is very different from... Very different. Was it difficult at first for you to, you know, to kind of speak out, having spent a childhood 
you know, knowing that you were under the communist rule and it was a little bit quieter and, you know, it, it was not as free as you probably are experiencing it now. So was it a huge change the first time? Uh, yes, uh, I, I heard from other people who visited America, like one of my colleagues, he said, for the first month I felt myself like um, I'm completely out of place, like uh, this is so strange. And I said, oh, how could that be? And yes, then I, now, yes, now you are, you're, you are here, and you've written this lovely book, Finding Your Soulmate. And I just wanted to ask a couple of questions because you were able to overcome your fears, overcome your lack of trust, you know, overcome what different passions and attitudes and ideas by taking this spiritual Bible-based method to get you to where you wanted to be. How did you come about writing the book? Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write the book. Uh, see, I didn't plan to write a book. Uh, after I got married to the man of my dreams, I just wanted uh, to let um, the man I mentioned in my book, his name is Sasha, and he was very unhappy in his personal life. And I wanted him to know about uh, happiness, what happened to me, that it is available, and I wanted to encourage him by telling my story. So I wrote in this story in Russian first, and after that I thought it would be a good idea to let my friends know about my life because I'm here in America and they're over there overseas. They don't know much. Uh, so I sent uh, to many of them this material, and uh, quite a few of them came back to me, and they were impressed and uh, advised me to publish it. So I that must have been very, ex very exciting to get that kind of feedback when you yes. just wrote something to help some of your friends and then yes. realize, oh, I have a, an accidental book in my hands. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't even a book at this point. I, I just posted it on um, a free website in uh, Russia, and uh, I started receiving feedback from strangers, and uh, uh, they uh, really motivated me because some of them eventually got married. This was really something. That, so. you know, it's wonderful, and we want to tell our audience that you hold a Ph.D., uh, you're a psychologist, a Ph.D. in psychology. Yes. And how you got to America the first time, you were a Fulbright scholar, and you went to the James Madison University, that is a very, very big accomplishment. Yes, it is. It was yes. a tough competition. Yes, yeah. yes. And that must have been quite exciting to be recommended by the Ukrainian uh, Ministry of Education and actually get this scholarship to come here. Yes. So congratulations um, for doing yes, it that. Was... It started your dream, didn't it? Yes. It was State Department financed this Fulbright scholarship, actually. And there was a board of both Ukrainian and American scientists who interviewed me. Yeah. So I know that um, if throughout your book and Finding Your Soulmate, throughout your journey, you were always considered extremely intelligent and, you, you know, you good conversationalist, et cetera. But you had, you never did connect with the right man. Tell us a little bit about your journey, and then we'll get more into the writing about it and some of the characteristics or perhaps like requirements. Maybe you were too strict with the requirements in the beginning. 
Uh, I didn't know what was wrong with me. You see, this puzzled me. I just uh, would uh, like a guy, and he would never like me back. It was just kind of like a plague, and I didn't understand what was wrong. And I just had a hunch, like, maybe I was cursed or something. But nobody ever talked anything about it. I couldn't read anywhere about it, so I was completely at a loss, and... It was uh, through bumps and bruises, finally, at the age of 32, I met a man who um, made a big impact on my life, and I just changed due to the influence of his personality, and I felt such liberation in many areas, I mean, like at work and with uh, your boss, uh, but not with men, (laughs) this area still was kind of hard. And then it was gradually uh, understanding what was going on. Actually, I cannot (laughs) retell everything that was happening. Well, we're talking with author Tatiana Noel, and her book is called Finding Your Soulmate. And it wasn't until she was 39 that she met the man of her dreams and got married. Actually, so, since it was, I was 45 at that time. Oh, it was 45? Oh, I thought it was 39. I oh, read 40, that wrong. 45. And 39, it was the time that I've been looking for my soulmate. Because uh, I, I was seven years old when I first understood that I want um, a lo- to love a man. This is the meaning of my life. Well, because you believed, you know, you had always believed, you said you had a vision that the most important experience for you was to be loved and to love. Yes. So how, t- tell us now how it came about, uh, because the I think the story is so um, remarkable because you didn't think when you first met him that he liked you at all. No. Uh, his appearance was not really appealing to me. He didn't um, meet my expectation like I like slim guys and he was fat and I like guys with hair and he was bald and so forth. But his personality was really attractive to me. I liked him as a person. And it took, but it took time before you were able to express how you felt and he was able to express how he felt. What do you say to people when they when they feel that okay the physical attraction isn't there but there's other characteristics that are really appealing? What do you recommend? You have worked with many 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 uh, couples and individuals in your practice. You and you know many people who have gone through this. How can they discover the person of their dreams? Uh, see, um, I. Uh came the, um, to find um, my man uh, only because I believed in God, and God led me. Because otherwise, I wouldn't have recognized him. That's why I believe that faith in God is very important, because he knows everybody's heart. We cannot read somebody's heart. We sometimes make such terrible mistakes by... Uh, dealing with people, with friends. You know a person for years, and then he or she fails you terribly. Oh, but... Yeah, so disappointing. Yes. But see, when there is divine guidance, then you can rely on the Almighty, on knowing God who loves you. See, and he will lead you to the right person. 
Well, throughout your book, Finding Your Soulmate, you have many, many passages from the Bible, and these are passages that helped you on your journey. And yes. these would be good recommendations for people to be reading this so that they could recognize their person when he or she appears. Yes. See, and I was complete atheist. I grew up in a society where about God it was kind of crazy. Like, who well, could believe in this? It mm. wasn't allowed in the USSR, was it? I mean, if there was any religion, it was underground. It was uh, atheism completely everywhere. And we were taught uh, scientific atheism. There was subjects in uh, the colleges and universities and so forth. See? We were brainwashed uh, thoroughly in the area of religion. And then, so how long did it take you to actually acknowledge that this is where you wanted to go, that it wasn't just all science, because you're a scientist and being a psychologist, yes. that yes. it really was a higher power. Yes, I, due to meeting that man when I was 32, uh, the miracle that happened to me, I understood that this couldn't be done ordinary by human means. It's something supernatural. It's uh, above. It's out of this world. That's, I believe that there has to be a God. And he was of the Jewish faith, wasn't he? Yes, he was of Jewish background, but Soviet right. Jews, they are mostly atheists. They are not like American Jews who go to synagogue and stuff. Mm-hmm. They are just he was, Jews by blood, not by... But view. he was living such a, uh, such a very in-contact life that it really influenced you. Yes, he was differently uh, brought up because their traditions are understood by dealing with other Jews. That they uh, try to instill these Bible values even in atheistic people. How to treat other people such kindness and compassion. It was just and that unbelievable. Was, that meeting him was the light bulb for you. You, you talk about in your book different episodes that really made a difference in developing, expanding the relationship with uh, the man that you are now married to. Um, did you ever compare him to other people or bad experiences? Or, you know, tell us about that. Tell us about that journey when he showed up, even though he was, he was bald and he was overweight. Um, you, did, you were able to see his heart. Um, I, yeah, I saw some glimpses. I just felt such trust and ease w with him, like never before with anybody. And uh, his, uh, how he viewed me, his experiences were different. Like, for me, it was uh, revealing uh, something that I described in the book. And when I compared with him what was meaningful to him, it was completely different experiences. Like, he uh, noticed something in me, when we were practicing singing, uh, how I explained to him singing techniques, the way I was explaining it was very gentle and caring, and it touched him very much. Uh, and another episode, when we went on a trip to Skyline Drive, it's in Shenandoah National Park, and I fell asleep in the car, and uh, he was uh, touched with my trust to him, and he saw a sign of me trusting him in this. And that, for me, I didn't pay much attention to those things. So uh, there were differences in our views of each other and ways. So now that you've been through this and you've been happily married and you've helped other people, especially 
back in Ukraine and friends that you know that have contacted you through your public through your uh, publication. What are some tips that you would give to other single people who are really wanting to meet their soulmate and they're not finding it? We know that you it could you know turn over your life to God. Let that be uh, to lead it. But tell us some of the other things that you really felt were helpful and are still helping you today. Uh, I believe if there is such a longing in somebody's heart, if there is a belief that you are made for marriage, so don't give up. Just uh, keep walking if if it's even uh, disappointing, if there are hurts and failures and stuff. Just don't give up and believe. And uh, I say about myself, my uh, Work my way to my, the man of my dream was 39 years, and I see. I hope nobody else will have to go that long. That God long. likes taking such hopeless cases that He will show other people. Uh, listen, your situation is not that bad. Look at this person; they made it. You can do it also. Well, I think what's also very fascinating is that you didn't marry a, a countryman from Ukraine. You actually married. An American, wasn't that a little frightening to, you know, marry a foreigner, have to you know, go to another country? Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, coming to America was kind of scary, but uh, relationships with uh, Richard, I had great confidence uh, in him. And I also felt a certain closeness and keenness with Americans. Uh, believe it or not, it may sound strange, but I knew that I needed an American. Oh, I love it. Well, let's give out your website, Tatanya, uh, so that we can get people to get your book. The name of the book is Finding Your Soulmate. She spells her name T-A-T-Y-A-N-A, Noel, N-O-E-L, such a pretty name. And the website, findingyoursoulmatebook.com, or you can find it at Ex Libri. Is that the website you want to give? Ex Libri, uh-huh. Uh-huh, Ex Libris. So findingyoursoulmate.com or exlibris.com, and it's Finding Your Soulmate, Tatiana Noel. Thank you so much for coming on to share your story and your book. Thank and you for having me. I wish me. you many, many happy years, and thank you for changing the lives of others. It's a very important thing. Thank you, Cynthia. God bless you. You Bless you, too. Well, you. When we return from a short break, Dr. Robert Nay will join us with his book, overcoming anger in your relationship. He's going to help us break that cycle of arguments and put-downs and stony silences. So we're going to keep the love coming. You stay with me here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryant, and I'm back in a bit. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org.
Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Thanks for staying tuned to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and listen, and we bring you the authors and experts every week that really change your life. Well, we all feel anger from time to time, but what we do with it is something else. I mean, is it possible that one day we can actually wake up and wonder where our happy love went in our relationship. Dr. Robert Ney addresses this quiet type of anger in his fantastic book, Overcoming Anger in Your Relationships, How to Break the Cycle of Arguments, Put-Downs, and Stony Silences. Welcome, Dr. Ney, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hi. I'm really glad Hi, to be here. Hi. How are you? Um, I want to tell you, Robert, I love your photo, first of all. You just look so happy and easy to talk to. <laughs> well, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I'm looking oh, forward good. to the interview. Yeah, well, this is, this is just a remarkable book because I really think you hit on something that is so important. All relationships have issues and challenges, et cetera, but it is sometimes they do dissolve no, maybe not just into battling matches, but into silent matches. And what you're doing in this is giving us hope that we can change ourselves so that if our partner is the angry person, or of course if we are too, that we will be able to break that cycle by changing our own behaviors instead of just doing whatever it is to avoid the next problem or the next you know, sarcasm or exasperation or the next fight. So let's start from the beginning in recognizing how that anger really pushes our buttons. What What is it that we do to push buttons? And why do you think it happens? And it seems like it happens overnight, although it's been coming for a long time. Well, I think there are a lot of reasons why people get angry. And sometimes we figure into their anger. But basically, you know, the, the key of anger, I think, is when we have expectations that are not met. And some of our expectations are realistic, but in many cases, uh, folks with anger issues have expectations, the shoulds and oughts in their thinking, 
that are uh, not only unrealistic, but they continue to have expectations that are almost never realized, and therefore they continue to be chronically angry. Uh, if we're the recipient of that, if, if we're not doing something that the other person wants us to do or acting in a way that is expected, then that person may act out their anger with one of five faces of anger that I talk about in my first book, Taking Charge of Anger and Reiterate Again and Overcoming Anger. Um, some of these ways are, are, are pretty, I think, clear uh, and understandable to us, and that is, you know, when we get, when, when our loved one, when, when our partner is loud, raising, uh, raising her voice or his voice, um, saying pretty mean-spirited things, the desire of aggression, we're talking about aggression here, is, is to hurt or harm. In some cases, that may be in the form of contempt. Contempt would be a statement like, um, you know, I just really can't believe you. I mean, are you for real? You know, where was your mind? We're not really negatively labeling, but we're really saying something negative about our partner's characteristics or personality. And then, of course, there can be really hurtful negative labels, calling somebody a name. Another face of anger is uh, to be hostile. Uh, the hostile individual is um, basically impatient, filled with anger, and sort of acting it out all over the place. It may not be directly to say something mean to, to the partner, but it could be the kind of person who's yelling at drivers, is impatient, the elevator doesn't go fast enough, uh, grumbling about the children making noise, banging the kitchen cabinets. Um, and, this and all kind of, of those, and, and before you move on from, from that, all of that is so difficult to be around, whether you are the, uh, the partner or just in, uh, you know, working with somebody like that. Being around somebody like that, you tend to kind of kowtow to them just so that they don't get so angry. That's very true. It's, there's a, a level of toxicity. It's, it's like being with somebody like that raises the level of tension, I think, for everyone. You know, if we've been in a store and we hear a mother yelling or screaming at a child or, you know, we're, we're around somebody who's very impatient and mumbling in a line at the store, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. And living with somebody like this uh, is a real chore, not only for the partner, if that partner's a parent, it's, it's very, very difficult for children, I think, to, to live in that kind of environment, wondering what's going to lead to the next explosion, you know. Right, right. So I didn't mean to take you off track of the different angers. Uh, what about justification, justifying? Well, uh, ju justifying is kind of a way that we sometimes react to a face of anger, where we're getting kind of angry ourselves, and, you know, we, 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 some, our partner says something mean to us, and we basically defend ourselves, or we feel like we have to justify what we did, which in a way is playing into the anger dance and the, the kind of game or dance of anger. But among other, other faces of anger would be, and I'll go through them very quickly, would be sarcasm, you know, by tone of voice or innuendo. Um, the sarcastic person often blames the part when the partner remonstrates and says, boy, you know, that was pretty mean. Uh, you, you know, the reaction might be, you know, you're, you're too sensitive. You know, you, you can't take a joke. And right. fin yeah. finally, there's passive anger in the form of passive aggression, which is like, you know, the passive-aggressive, aggressively angry person withholds something that the partner wants, uh, doesn't do things that might be asked for. And finally, cold anger is when you just shut down. Someone who's coldly angry stops talking to you, and maybe you find yourself begging them to talk or, you know, please, can we please resolve this? And the cold, 
you're met with cold anger and the person almost feels uh, uh, kind of a sense of satisfaction in shutting you down. So those are the the phases of anger, and justification or justifying is one way that we react to those phases of anger. So what we have to do then is create new boundaries for these phases of anger then so that we're not just getting into this vicious cycle of this dance. I love the idea that anger is a, is a dance because it is. I think that's what the relationship, you know, becomes. So how do we do that? How, do, how can we create a new behavior for ourselves because if, when we do that, it will help change the partner in some way, shape, or form? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing is as opposed to kind of being in the middle of that uh, that inter- that that di- that that uh, interdependent dance of anger, we have to pull back a little bit and kind of the first thing is to assess like what are we doing, you know how are we acting, how are we re- reacting right now, and what is that feeling like for us, and we need to 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 then consider what's acceptable behavior to really sit down with ourselves and that's a boundary much like the boundary around a property. You know, we're not going to permit others to, to traverse that, to cross over that line, without letting them know that that's inappropriate, that we're not going to have that. We're not going to stand for that. So what is it your partner's doing? Perhaps it's your partner raising her voice level, uh, getting, you know, very close with less than an arm's length away to where you feel very threatened or crowded. Or maybe it's the sarcastic uh, interruption of everything you try to say, you know, when you're out with somebody else. So, so you're basically figuring out what behavior is unacceptable, and you're trying to be pretty specific. You know, we don't. And I want to jump in yeah. here and just let the listeners reiterate uh, to the listeners that we're talking with Robert Ney. He has a PhD, overcoming anger in your relationship: how to break the cycle of arguments, put downs, and stony silences. He's a, a clinical psychologist in. Um, in Virginia, and um, and in also in Maryland, right? Yes. And but what's wonderful about your book is that you have these charts. You have a, the relationship anger profile in here, so that we can sit down and figure out which of the four core feelings we're experiencing. And you also have behaviors and and many different tables throughout the book that help us get to the next step. So. Besides just talking about case studies and giving examples of how it can how it can feel or work or look like, there's actually a way to keep logs and to focus our thoughts. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the the the, the real goal is to change your behavior. You know, if you're in a re- relationship with someone who has a, a, a difficult face of anger, as I say in the book, you're powerless over that person. You may have tried to talk with them about it, and hopefully you have, and they've changed. But if not, let's realize that you're you're completely powerless beyond requesting. But what, well, you're, power, what, what you're powerful over is how you choose to act and react. And in that power, as you play a different part, as you react differently, it really sets the stage for your partner to have to, to uh, uh, react differently as well, to try out new behaviors. Well, let's talk about trying out that because it is all about action, reaction. All life is about that, is that yes. we react when somebody takes a specific action. So what do, what do we do when we have someone who is angry most of the time, and angry just kind of at life in general, or is a complainer and a blamer, and, you know, nothing is ever good enough or perfect enough. 
And what, how is, what would be a proper, I don't want to say proper, how could we change a response of just getting frustrated and upset that this person's always angry? It doesn't seem that he has, uh, he or she has any happiness on the inside. Well, again, figuring out your boundaries so that when that behavior starts to kick in, whether it be, you know, complaining at you or uh, showing a look of disgust or raising their voice or saying something mean or uh, whatever, uh, you're real clear of what's unacceptable, and you've discussed that with your partner, and you're also clear about the behavior that is acceptable to take the place of that. And so if your partner begins down that path of... uh, you know, being very, very hypercritical, raising his voice, um, being kind of nasty, right away you're going to raise your palm and you're going to say, you know, excuse me, but and you're going to let her or him know exactly what you require in order to, to keep the conversation going. It's like the first thing that I always recommend is to sit down. When we're seated, it's, our brain really uh, kind of reads our physical uh, uh, movements and our posture. And so the first thing is to sit down and invite your partner to be seated. And then to be, uh, because that immediately lowers the level of, of arousal that contributes to anger acting out. And the second thing is to let your partner know what you need in order to continue talking. I really, thank you, thank, thanks for sitting down, but I really need you to, 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 to use a voice like you would, um, you know, at, at work, or I really need you to talk at a level tone. Or I would really appreciate it if you could back off and let's sit down. But I really don't like it when you get uh, right up into my face. I'd like you to, to, to stay at least a couple of arms, arms length away. Uh, uh, or maybe there's, there's, there's a, 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 some type of language that's being used. So you're letting your partner know early on, before this dance of anger, before the arousal of anger becomes high enough, as anger arousal, as the inner tension goes up, the ability of the angry person to contain himself or herself is much less. We call that disinhibition. So the more uh, arousal, fight or flight, we call it, fight or flight arousal that's occurring, the harder it is to rein it in. So if we can cue them, if we can make clear early on that that's unacceptable. You know, if somebody is calling you names, you know, do you, how long do you, do, you, do you listen to that? How long do you accept that or continue to defend yourself? you know, or maybe sulk in silence, because when you're doing that, you're really, in a way, rewarding that behavior. You're sending a, a silent message by your behavior that that behavior is okay. So, so we are really reinforcing it when we don't stick up for ourselves. You made a couple, uh, well, there's many good points in this book. The book is Overcoming Anger in Your Relationship. It's by Robert Nay, and it really does break the cycle. It'll help you break the cycle of arguments, sit-downs, and stony silences. Uh, but so very often what people tend to do, because I guess that is the protection thing, is just to say, oh, you're right, because how can anybody argue with you if you tell them that they're right? But right. instead, it might end, the, end that particular fight, but we're really telling them, okay, you're going to always be right, so no matter... What we do, we have to stop them and, and let them know that it's not acceptable, that it's intolerable behavior at this moment. Because I found that interesting, not to just give in because you want the fight to stop. We have to stop the behavior. You know, I, I call that kind of behavior placating. 
And it's yeah, almost like, you know, I'll say anything j- j- just to get you to be quiet or to calm down. And it's you like make a really I'm good... sorry. It's like apologizing for something you didn't do. Exactly. So if you're saying it's my fault, even if it wasn't your fault, they may quiet down, but then there's always going to be a next time. Yeah, I mean, the, the point you're making is really a good one, that if you placate and if you give in, in a way, you're really kind of saying, you know, keep doing that behavior. That behavior works. You get what you want when you do that behavior. Yes, and of course, and of course that, that, that's the opposite of the message we want to be sending. Right, because we do teach people how to treat us. And this, I think this is such an important book because it doesn't put the onus of change on the perpetrator. It puts it where we have power. So if I'm in a relationship where um, a, a partner is being abusive in any way or anger, I have that power to say I'm not going to take this anymore when you when you act like this, and this is what I need in order to continue the conversation. So it really is a letting your your partner know what you want, what you need, what you feel, and and how that what it looks like, how that's going to happen. Exactly, it's a book to empower those of us who might be in such a relationship, because. You know, it's interesting, verbal abuse, you take verbal abuse or contempt, what the literature tells us, if you, if you let that behavior continue, that's associated with violence down the road. It doesn't mean it's always going to turn into violence, but if you per- permit someone to abuse you verbally, um, you're kind of saying in some sense that, you know, my uh, my person, you know, my beliefs, my, my thinking is not that important. Uh as, as I accede to you, and it really does shift the power in such a way that sometimes it actually fuels violence. So it becomes very important to identify early on when someone is crossing one of those boundaries that you have. Well, an area that I thought was really important is many people, uh, we, I was just talking right before the show with a, uh, a colleague about having um, uh, partners, especially in older age, that have medical issues, you know, and there's the joke that there's so many single men out there that are looking for a nurse with a purse, and we were laughing about it, but the reality is, is that if there are medical issues going on, you know, and there's a lot of pain, and they're starting, again, the complaining, and there is something, we still don't have to be a doormat. We, you know, we can still be caring and empathetic. But we don't have to be at their beck and command and and be abused by their anger. So there are ways that we can deal with this. Yeah, and, and in that circumstance, just like with your adolescent son or daughter or I guess with just about anyone, your boss at work, where are your boundaries? And, you know, when we don't have boundaries, we often become that, that overworked term, codependent. You know, our emotions start to revolve around the other person's bad behavior, and we just don't want that to happen. We lose ourselves. Well, you, you know, we lose ourselves, and you brought up a point in the book, too, because you, you referenced the song, you know, you, you always hurt the one that you love. Mm-hmm. And I hear people say that all the time, is, oh, you know, she's really great when we're around other people, but, boy, she's a terror at home. I, I, this is really a fascinating wonderful book, Robert. I'm really happy that you wrote it, Overcoming Anger in Your Relationship. Could we give out your website so people can go and uh, check it out? Yes, my website is wrobertnay.com, and that's W-R-O-B-E-R-T-N-A-Y.com. 
and thanks for well, letting me do that. thank you. Thank you so much, Robert, for being on the show and sharing overcoming anger in your relationship. And for all the listeners, remember to set boundaries, pick up a copy of the book, because you can break that cycle, and you can live a life of happiness and love, and Robert can show us the way. Thank you, Robert, for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. It's been a pleasure. Thank all of you for being great listeners and allowing me into your life. I am Cynthia Bryan, the website, CynthiaBryan.com, and the charity, BeTheStarYouAre.org. We'll be together next week, and until then, be the star you are. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be The Star You Are. For more information about Be The Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker, a dreamer, with courage to give. 